So, who's been watching the Olympics? Yeah, everyone. I'm like, I'm really not into sport, but after 2012, I seem to have um, got really excited about the Olympics. And it's one of the um, occasional sport events that I get, actually, I get to watch with my husband because he watches every single sport event um, that actually exists. And this one I actually enjoy, <laughs> thankfully. So, on Friday, Usain Bolt won the treble, treble. And afterwards, in the interview with the BBC, he declared himself the greatest. And um, it's a bit old now, but happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. Bounty, the chocolate bar, used to be the shape of paradise. And currently, apparently, greatness comes from Domino's Pizza. Back in 1956, Thomas Merton, he's an American uh, Catholic author, said this. Praise is cheap today. Everything is praised. Soap, beer, toothpaste, clothing, mouthwash, movie stars, all the latest gadgets which are supposed to make life more comfortable. Everything is constantly being praised. Praise is now so overdone that everybody is sick of it. And since everything is praised with the official hollow enthusiasm of the radio announcer, it turns out in the end nothing is praised. Praise has become empty. Nobody really wants to use it. He then goes on to say, when he's talking about the Psalms, he says, it's quite possible that our lack of interest in the Psalms conceals a secret lack of interest in God. For if we have no real interest in praising him, it shows that we've never realized who he is. For when one becomes conscious of who God really is, the only possible reaction is the cry of a half-articulate exultation that bursts from the depths of our being. The Psalms are made up of such cries. So in a culture where we still praise toothpaste, and now 2016, pizza is great, how do we express our adoration for the Lord in a way that doesn't ring hollow, in a way where it means something, where it has depth to it? I don't know about you, but I'm really quite, I think I'm quite good at praising lots of things. I try to be encouraging and positive, but sometimes I praise things without merit. Lots of things are awesome, even though they don't inspire awe. Things are great. Things are gorgeous. <laughs> things are wonderful. Shush, you two. <laughs> um, and so I say wonderful things to praise um, everything and anything but sometimes that means that I don't really mean it. In fact, even our one-year-old son, Seth, has learned to raise his hands in worship at church, but he doesn't know that he's praising God. He's just learned that that's what we do. I especially find that I can sing worship songs, I can say the right words, and I can pray prayers um, to ask the Lord to provide all those wonderful gadgets that make my life easier without actually praising him for who he is. The theologian Walter Brueggemann says there are three types of psalm. Um, so the first type is the psalm of orientation. And these are the psalms when everything's okay. Life's great. We've got no surprises. Everything's hunky-dory. And Psalm 145 is one of those, and that's what um, I'm going to speak on today. But the second type of psalm is the psalm of um, disorientation. And that's when life is hell, when things are really rough, when you don't know what's going on. And those psalms are the psalms of lament, 
their psalms like Psalm 13 and Psalm 22. They're when we talk about the depths of despair and we say, why has the Lord forsaken us? And then the third type of psalm is the psalm of reorientation. So we've been through hell, but life's okay again, but it's different because we've been through hell. And those psalms tend to be psalms of thanksgiving because they're thanking the Lord for what he has done. And when I did a quick Google of the most popular psalms, it just so happened that most of those psalms seem to be the psalms of orientation and a few psalms of reorientation. I didn't happen to find those psalms of lament in there. I looked at the most retweeted psalms um, and there were very few that um, involved lament. And I don't blame them. You know, I'm not going to be retweeting psalms that um, are lamenting about the woes of life. But when things do go wrong, when not everything is okay, when there's famine, when there's drought, when there's acts of terrorism and a worldwide refugee crisis, sometimes when we just pray psalms and say psalms of, of praise and orientation, that means that our praise is sometimes empty because we say things are okay and actually they're not. And it's okay to say that things aren't okay. So... How do, we, how do we, as Merton say, realize who God is so that we're able to pray those um, prayers or say those psalms of exaltation where it comes from a depth of knowing that even though things aren't okay, God is good and God is great. Well, I, I think the psalms are probably the right place to start. So um, I'm going to look at Psalm 145 and I think some of it will come up on the screen. I'm not going to read it all because it's quite long, um, but I'm going to go for a big bunch of it. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your work to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all his promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds those who fall, and he lifts up those who are all bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Wow. So, this is the psalm of praise. Um, it is the last psalm in the book of Psalms that is written by David. And it's a titled, A Psalm of Praise, or David's Psalm of Praise. And it's the last 
one before. There's five psalms altogether, which are the psalms of kind of ultimate praise. And they are the rising crescendo at the end of the book of exaltation and of praise. So this is the beginning of the kind of rise to the end of the book. And um, it's a very clever psalm. So I don't know if you guys still do Christmas letters. I find that um, I tend to do an elf yourself instead. So if you don't know what that is, Google it. It's quite entertaining. But my colleague um, sent me his Christmas letter last year, um, and it came via PDF. So apparently the tradition of Christmas letters um, excludes stamps nowadays. But this PDF had um, the words Christmas written down the side, and every letter he was able to tie it into something wonderful that his family had done over the year and the news that they had to share. And this psalm is a bit like one of those Christmas letters. So it's the A to Z of, of um, praise. It has every letter, bar one, but we won't get into that, of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, and so it kind of I, like shows in its very structure that it is the all-encompassing nature of God. Um, and the reason I chose this psalm is because it has an important memory for me. So way, way back when, when I passed my driving test, um, I used to drive my dad's old banger around the hills of Yorkshire, I'm from Yorkshire, northern, just in case you didn't know. Um, and we didn't have air conditioning, so I'd wind down my windows. And I would, um, my dad only had about three CDs in the car. And so I would play the album, Come Now Is The Time, full blast, driving around the hills. Um, which is quite amusing because James informed me that that was recorded at Elliot School. And so um, back, back then, I was influenced by the vineyard. Um, and so my favorite track was track seven, which if those of you don't know, it's coming. It's the one that's, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, um, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all, etc. Um, and I used to sing along with my windows uh, wound down because I was really cool um, and just loved it. And so then... Um, after about six months later, I went to Mozambique on my gap year, and I found myself two weeks into this completely strange country, different language, different food, a whole load of people I didn't know. And they'd sent us on an orientation retreat to this beautiful beach, and I was feeling very lost and very nervous. And I'd never spent more than two weeks away from home by myself before, and I didn't realize that until I got there, and I was stuck there for six months. Um, so I sat on this beach at sunrise, and they'd sent us off to pray. And look at the beautiful Indian Ocean. There's palm trees around. This is paradise. I open my Bible, and there do I find Psalm 145, where it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. And I thought, wow, like worship songs come from the Bible. <laughs> and I'd, I've obviously learned maybe a bit more since then. But um, in that moment, the Lord spoke to me, and I realized, you know, it's going to be okay. I'm going to be able to cope with these six months. And that was probably the first time that the Lord really spoke to me. And um, I uh, kind of was there with the creation, with the beautiful beach beside me. And the Lord's in the word of God. And I knew, you know, I can praise him. The Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. And... Um, so I, when Mike asked me to talk on a psalm, I thought, oh, okay, I'll do Psalm 145. And then um, then was like, oh, no, what am I going to say? Um, and I guess I picked up two key things from this psalm, which relate to that story, to that time on the beach, to that word. 
Um, and it's, the psalm is kind of, can be split up into two parts. The first part is um, Psalm uh, verses 3 to 6 and then 10 to 13, which is where David is praising God for his greatness. And then he goes on to praise God for his goodness. So he goes 7 to 9 and then 13 to 20. And um, I'm not one, so although that, that was the first time that I felt God really speak to me, I'm not one to have visions, to have pictures or dreams. That's more Aaron really than me. And I feel really reassured by David because he didn't have um, big dreams. You know, his son Samuel had visions from God and there's, there's plenty of those stories in the Old Testament. But David isn't actually, um, King David isn't the one that had all those. And so yet he said in verse 3, Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. So he understood that God had unfathomable greatness without having amazing visions and being some super ultimate spiritual guru. And so I think that he probably got his concept of God's greatness from his works. So on, in verse 10, he says, all your works will praise you. And in a few translations that says, all creation will praise you. And when we look at God's creation, and we look at the creation, we see the creator in it. And we see who he is by what he has created. Not from whether he's answered our prayers or not, or whether life is going well. We can see who he is from creation. And um, this shows how cool I really am. Me and my friends at uni used to play something called the God Game where we would go for walks and we would look at the world and we would say, God is great because... And then we'd pull up a rock or a tree or a leaf or a petal or something. <laughs> we'd be like, God is great because this rock demonstrates that he is my rock. And we used to come up with some really cheesy um, things. We, I'm really cool, aren't I? Um, so, <laughs> but it was a great way for me to realize, um, you know, that we can see and we can praise God from his creation. We can see his greatness. So secondly, David praised the Lord for his goodness. So in verse 8, he says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. I didn't realize this, but this verse comes from Exodus. And it comes from the time that Moses was on Mount Sinai and he turned his back as the Lord passed by. So he couldn't, wouldn't be blinded by his glory. And as the Lord passed by on the Mount Sinai, he said, I am compassionate and gracious. So he proclaimed this to Moses. And so David has taken the word of God and he has praised the Lord with it. And on, from verse 13 onwards, he goes on to outline God's goodness in his covenant with his people. So he says things like, your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises. The Lord upholds all who fall. The, you give them their food at the proper time, and you open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. You see, we see that um, through God's word that he is good. We see the way he, what he proclaims about himself, but we also see the way that he brought his people out of Egypt. We see how Jesus was resurrected um, and raised from the dead. 
we see just amazing stuff that God has done for his people. And when things don't quite go right in our lives, we can reflect on the word and know that. So um, I'm the youngest of three sisters. Twelve years ago, my middle sister Faith was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer. And within six months of her diagnosis, she lost her battle and was with the Lord. And when we got her diagnosis, it was about two weeks after Freshers' Week for me at university. So I was 19, all on my own, in a new place again, um, not quite sure what was going on. And that meant that my grief for those three years was, um, I often felt very alone in it because I was with a whole load of people who'd never experienced anything like I had. And I found it really hard to praise God. And I found it really hard because I was like, God, you didn't answer my prayers the way I wanted you to. And things weren't going okay for me. But the one thing I learned is that I should keep praising God. And so now, by this point, I'd worked out that worship songs came often from the Bible. Um, I would sing... Um, worship songs on my own or when I was in church I'd really push through and try and sing those songs um, trying to praise the Lord for who he is and to pray his word so I would take passages in the Bible and I would pray them out knowing that the Lord was good even though in my circumstances it felt like I wasn't sure he was and it showed me it was okay to lament in fact Jesus prayed a psalm of lament on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as David used the word to praise, Jesus was able to use the word to lament. So when we see God's word, we can see that he's good, even though sometimes it's difficult to understand. And if we take that and we pray that, that comes from a sense of a depth, because we know that Actually, sometimes things aren't okay, but God is good. We know the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. So we can quite easily, without thinking about it, praise everything and anything without merit. And our praise can become empty. But praise that comes from understanding God through his creation and understanding him as a creator isn't empty it's rich. And praise that comes from praying his word and knowing he is good from what he has done through the generations isn't empty, it's rich. So we know that the Lord is good, great, his greatness no one can fathom. We know that the Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. So I'll leave you with this. Louis the Great the big great king planned his own funeral. It was going to be the opportunity for everybody, kind of his last standing opportunity for everybody to see how great he was, to be in awe of this great king. He filled Notre Dame Cathedral and he specified that it would be, the whole of the cathedral would be dark with the exception of one candle laid upon his golden coffin. So as the bishop came to start the funeral, um, he stood at the coffin, lit up by the candlelight, and he leant over and he snuffed out the candle. And in complete pitch darkness, he said, only God is great. 
See, Usain Bolt might be the greatest. Domino's pizza, greatness might come from it. But we know that only God is truly great. And if we're able to praise him from the depths of our being, we're able to praise him despite our circumstances. We're able to praise him not because of what he's done for us, but because of what he has created. Then our praise won't be cheap at all. It'll be rich. So when we see his works, his greatness in creation, his goodness in the word, let's praise him richly beyond our circumstances. So let's stand. I'm going to ask Mike to come back up and we're going to pray and worship.